Hello, and welcome to Rocket's Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom and ExpressVPN and Privacy. I am Simone Rochefort, Senior Video Producer at Polygon, and I'm here today with Christina Warren, Senior Cloud Advocate at Microsoft, and Brianna Wu, Executive Director of Rebellion Pack. How are we doing? Woohoo! You know, I'm doing the best I can, despite the fact that Relay does not have a hype house. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing my best. It's hard to do my job <laughs> sometime when there's not <laughs> parties with women wearing snakes and lots of cocaine around, but I'm, I'm oh. doing my best. Yeah, I was going to say the lack of cocaine is a real detriment. <laughs> like, I would be way more productive if that's what I had. Honestly, well, I was yeah. going to say it sucks that you two can't see the snake that I'm wearing. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> All right. In case you would like a, a stronger hint, uh, today we are going to have a very special guest, Ashley Carmen, to talk about her incredible article for The Verge about the first and maybe only podcast, Hype House. And then we are going to be talking about E3 which has happened. It happened last weekend. Um, and to me, it is still happening in, in my mind and in my soul. Uh, but we're going to talk about our favorite announcements of the show and maybe our least favorite announcements as well. But first... All right, we have a very exciting first story and a special guest today. And that special guest is Ashley Carmen. Ashley is a senior reporter at Polygon's very own sister site, The Verge. I, it's almost like Polygon's parent site because I think we started as an offshoot of The Verge. But the most <laughs> important thing is that Ashley has spent the last year working on a story about the implosion of what might be the first podcasting hype house. And it is a story that involves all of our favorite things, including expensive rental homes, many layers of corporate ownership that are confusing, fake investment numbers that are very large, and a guy behaving really, really badly in the workplace. So Ashley Carmen, welcome to the show. <laughs> wow, that is the best summing up of this article I've ever heard. And I also love all your interests. Yay! <laughs> yeah, we're, we have a, a sort of informal segment on this show called Scam Town where we find ways to talk about scams that are sort of tangentially tech-related, like Firefest and uh, this article and Airbnb often enough, um, which considering this week's news, we might have to bring it up again. But today, <laughs> we're here to talk to you about this podcasting hype house. So would you mind summarizing really quickly for us this incredible piece that you wrote? Yeah. So as you kind of hinted at, it, it gets a little complicated. There's a lot of names involved, but very long story short, China's biggest audio platform, which is named Shimalaya, uh, back in 2019, wanted to launch in the U.S. So it launched an offshoot called Himalaya, huh. one letter difference. And they later spun out another company called High Studios. And essentially, my reporting found that this company, High Studios, sort of spiraled into disaster because of alleged workplace um, mistreatment, I guess we could say, and kind of definitely an unconventional workplace. And then the companies separated, High Studios kind of ended, and this new thing called Notorious came up. And now, since then, in Notorious, I found that podcasters haven't been paid. This hype house that they were living in hasn't really been taken care of. And again, just more spiral into disaster. Mm-hmm. How did this story first come to your attention? 
So I was actually tipped to this story. And so that was lovely. But then it took a really long time to actually put it together and sort of there's a lot of waiting involved. So I had covered Himalaya and High Studios when they launched, which was back, you know, a few years, a couple of years ago now. And then when I got this tip, sort of poked around at it, but there was really nothing much I could do. Um, and then in the fall of this year, I found out that former employees had filed a lawsuit against the CEO mm. of High Studios, as well as Himalaya and I and another former employee as well. Um, <laughs> and that lawsuit really became kind of the foundation for my reporting. It sort of gave me a bigger picture of allegations about what was happening at the house. And from there, I could really start to report around that. I want to sort of set the ground uh, right off the bat with a definition of a hype house. And from what I've seen uh, from your reporting and other fantastic reporting from our other sister site, Vox and uh, Rebecca over there, it seems like the thing all hype houses have in common is that they're started by one maybe charismatic person with access <laughs> to money. And a lot of talent is brought in to ostensibly live in a place and work in the same place. And then it kind of all collapses in a, a great souffle of exploitation and mismanagement. Uh, can you talk a little bit about hype houses and um, <laughs> where you see this this situation kind of fitting into other stories that we've seen mainly around TikTok influencers? Yeah. So I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with the idea of living and working in the same space. I think that tends to be a recipe for pure disaster because there's no clear boundaries on when is this work? When is this living? How do we associate with one another? Like boundaries are good, especially at work. It's college, right? Yeah. Like, I yeah. mean, in which for a lot of these people, they didn't go to college. So this is, but this is college. This is like, but instead of living in a frat house or a sorority house, you're living in a, a mansion that you're, somebody is renting ostensibly and, and working and, and partying all the time. Yeah. And I don't know if there's a pure definition of a hype house. I think it's kind of debated. <laughs> but for me, the reason I want, went with the term hype house was because really this was a house to drum up hype for this podcast network. That was mm -hmm. the idea. And it was a place that had not only this great view of Los Angeles and a full bar and food, but also podcast studios where you could record. Yeah. I feel like we're kind of burying the lead on this whole story. Like the thing that makes it so gripping is according to your reporting, you have a boss that <laughs> seems very, very questionable, uh, particularly in the post me too era. Uh, Peter Vincer, uh, you know, this is a man, your, your, your story has a lot of allegations of, uh, very heavy drug use. You've got mm -hmm. women walking around, uh, half naked, like with snakes to make it seem exotic. You've got people fired at this uh, company uh, under some very, very, uh, for an outside view, uh, very sketchy circumstances. So uh, to me, the, the the feel I got from this story is it was really about uh, an abusive uh, workplace situation. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's the, that's what's complicated about this story is we have so many different threads happening at once. <laughs> so yes, one core thread was just this, and this is what that lawsuit I kind of mentioned really centered on, which is this idea of an abuse, an alleged abusive workplace, um, and just wildly inappropriate ways that employees were treated. Um, and then at the same time, I think kind of 
the through line for me that really stands out as someone who covers podcasting and audio more widely is sort of this idea in this time when podcasting is really hyped up right now. Obviously, Spotify, as an example, spends maybe over a billion dollars at this point on podcasting efforts. And I mean, it must be over a billion dollars at this point. Yeah. And and if you recall, there was Luminary around the same time that Himalaya came out that was like an $100 million funding venture capitalist podcast subscription company. So Himalaya coming onto the scene and sort of bragging about this $100 million investment, which from my reporting seems to be fake, um, really speaks to kind of this idea of money rushing into the podcast space and maybe being a little too hyped. (laughs) Yeah. I had a question about that, actually, because as as your reporting showed, it does not seem like, I mean, it it, it seems like a that they admitted that they did not raise $100 million, that it might have been closer to 10, and that a lot of it came from the the, the parent company, Shimalaya, which seems like that has its own kind of sketchy backstory, as a lot of the, the Chinese um, uh, entertainment startups and streaming startups do. But when it came to even like the, uh, when you'd originally reported on it, they'd had a number of creators they'd signed, most of them left by the time the service actually launched. But I never even got the sense that like the, you know, you they have the money ostensibly so that this guy can rent this house and they are able to recruit these people and some people didn't get paid and whatnot. But I'm, I'm curious, like what types of numbers were they even thinking that they could get and what sorts of advertisers were they working with? Because it seemed like the business aspect of this never see, it never seemed clear to me if they were actually selling ads and actually getting listeners for any of the podcasts that were recorded in this house. Yeah. So well, so to be clear, as far as the $100 million goes, Himalaya did not respond to any requests for comment for this story. So they haven't commented on what that situation was with the $100 million. The way I understand it was kind of like one one former employee who says they were at the scene when this happened says that Peter Vincer, the CEO, kind of made up the figure because Shimalaya definitely has $100 million. They're the biggest podcast. Totally. They're the biggest audio platform in China. But- the way it was kind of told to me was that Vincer kind of used this $100 million to force Shimalaya's hand to invest more and kind of build and then also get these headlines because at the time he was head of marketing. But as far as the company itself and how it was doing, it's really tough to tell, especially high studios. They had some big deals like Zane and Heath was one of their initial partners. And I think that show was pretty successful and still is, but they eventually left high studios. They did sell ads for sure. And it's just unclear it's unclear how much money Himalaya was giving High Studios to help it support itself, like pay for the Hype House, presumably, and how much was coming in from ads. Right. The reason I asked is because there was, um, uh, you mentioned in the story, and I'd actually heard of Notorious before, and I'd reached out to, the, to, to Peter uh, and got no response because um, they did uh, the the uh, Dumpster Fire, the Fire Festival podcast with Billy McFarlane from jail before he went into solitary because of his part with it. And it was really poorly produced and really poorly done. But it not only had, it had like no no views on YouTube, it had like no Instagram presence, like nothing with it had anything. So that's why I was asking, because it seems like, you know, getting someone like him, that's a big name, although ostensibly he's promising him money he doesn't have to, to participate. But I was just curious, like how big any of these shows actually were, because nothing that you obviously did all the reporting. But when I was cursorily looking into this like six months ago, I couldn't find anything about this company that made it seem like they even had any, you know, audience, so to speak. Yeah. It's really tough to tell. Peter Vincer says that 
notorious right now is, what does he say? Self, he says it's self-sustaining, um, but I don't have, you know, mm-hmm. I don't have any like receipts. I don't have any, it's tough to say, but yeah, I would say that out of, for high studios and even notorious, there's really not any podcasts that I can think of that are, you know, widely known as a major podcast. So this, uh, this seems to be a real theme with these hype houses. You know, uh, one thing I feel like we've learned at, at Relay is building a successful podcasting network. It's about finding a, a really niche audience and, and catering to those needs, right? Like here at Relay, we have a lot of podcasts about Apple. We have a lot of, you know, the, the, the biggest names in Apple doing podcasts over here. That's kind of our audience. For these hype houses and a lot of the the general hype house stories, it tends to be really more about somebody trying to create an event and and like it's more of their social need, right? So you're trying to make like this spectacle. And some of the allegations you have in this story, it's it's hard for me to imagine what any of this could have to do with producing a successful podcasting network. Uh, you have allegations of sex workers coming over to the house to do cocaine, although the the principal person in your story, Vincer, uh, denies that. You know, you've got this uh, very sexually aggressive uh, atmosphere here. You've got people that are coming to the company and they are like ostensibly staying at this house uh, for, for work purposes. Uh, but there's all this like nonstop partying going on in the meantime, nobody is paying rent. It's just, it, it seems like this is a formula that comes up again and again in these disastrous, uh, hype houses that it's just, Mm -hmm. it's, it's more about spectacle and ego than it is about producing anything. Yeah. And I think, you know, we can kind of understand the idea of the Hollywood whining and dining. If you want to sign the big stars, you have to dish out the cash and impress. I I feel like that maybe is sort of the idea behind it, but it it seems like at least in this case, it definitely didn't pan out like that. I guess my one of my questions for you is, uh, when are we going to see this happen again? Because it feels like we've seen <laughs> this happen several times with TikTok hype houses. And like you said at the top of the show, podcasting has become big industry in the last few years. Uh, it's started out very indie and then with all these large investments recently from companies like Spotify and uh, celebrity talent creating their own podcasts or being brought on board to, to make podcasts, it's it's changed a lot. So I I personally could totally see something like this happening again. How do you feel uh, the likelihood is? Oh my gosh, I would be sh- I would be shocked simply because part of the reason you want a video hype house is because if you want to get on TikTok together, it's a lot easier just to be like, "Hey bro, let's get on TikTok together yeah. right now and do a dance." versus a podcast like we're doing right now where it's like, "Hey, can you log on Skype? I have my microphone. Let's just chat." <laughs> That, like, that's easy enough. You don't yeah. really need a house to do that. So that's true. If someone else wanted to attempt a podcasting hype house, um, that would be shocking. And yeah, they would have to be co-TikTokers <laughs> just as well. It. it would have to be TikTokers who want to start a podcast. Yeah, exactly. It would have to be like the do it everything house. Yeah. I want to hear more about the the process of reporting this stunning piece. And you said it at the at the top of this, it took you a year to report this. And you know, sometimes when you read pieces, you can tell the lawyers have gone over it line <laughs> by line because you'll have like a stunning allegation and then you'll have, but so-and-so denies and 
happened like right after it. And it, to the point that, I mean, this is a, an amazingly complicated story. So I want to, I would love to hear about what it was like reporting this. Like this is a movie. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was very, it, it took a very long time, especially <laughs> because many people I reached out to who aren't in this story really were traumatized um, and didn't want to talk about their experiences there. I got a lot of like, hey, I'm trying to move past this in my life actually and I really don't want to revisit that dark time. So part of that, that that was a struggle a little bit that I faced. But otherwise, it really was kind of continuing to sort of metaphorically hit the pavement and reach out to more and more people trying to find just patterns within the reporting. And and luckily for me, nothing came out that was like so out of left field that I was like, wait, what? Everything pretty much I heard from every person I reported. And I talked to, I mean, I mentioned in the piece that I corroborated this with, I think I say in the piece, like over 14 people, but mm. there was much more than that that came in on, you know, different pla- in different places. But yeah, I just kept reaching out to more and more people. And that's really what took such a long time because- I wanted as much corroboration and as many details as I could get. How long did it take you to convince uh, Peter Vincer to talk to you? So I actually knew Peter, or I know Peter, from prior to this piece because I had covered High Studios before. Um, You know, I reached out and he was open to talk. That's awesome. (laughs) As a person who kind of always struggles with like that aspect of asking, asking for things from subjects. Um, well, it's so impressive to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously I wanted to be transparent with him and I was, and I told him about the allegations that are in the story. And I told him, I was like, I don't want any, you'd have any surprises when you read this piece. Like I yeah. want you to know what's in it. And so, you know, we talked about things and you could see that reflected in the story of, you know, he didn't, he denies, I pretty much everything. Everything. Yeah. yeah. Literally everything. Yeah. He owes $70,000 in rent. He's, he's like, like, what me? No, it's just the last month's payment and that's it. Yeah. We didn't, <laughs> we didn't even mention. So at the end of the story, not to spoil it, but at the end of the story, we get into beyond just the allegations about not paying creators and this work environment, but also that Peter is now facing two other lawsuits from two separate landlords over one is over owed rent Mm -hmm. and one is over um it's like an eviction notice so Mm. which unfortunately is going to be really difficult for them uh, to evict because the laws there are really complicated yeah there's you know this all also happened right when the COVID-19 pandemic sort of hit the U.S. Mm -hmm. and so that kind of comes into play here too we don't really get into that but you know that that is definitely a factor here on maybe some of the housing situations and business in general. Do you think had it had it not kind of unfolded over 2020, would you have been able to go out to visit the house? I had previously been invited to the house, actually, um, <laughs> years ago. I, I did not go. Bummer. Um, maybe I should have if I had known at the time what the situation was. But <laughs> well, yeah. evidently it did not. Uh, totally negatively impact this story because you paint a very detailed picture of it, nevertheless. <laughs> yeah, I, I, as part of my reporting process, spent a lot of time asking people about the house and confirming the details of the house, looking at online photos and being able to describe it from that. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
without without going into specifics, can you can because I realize if someone says they don't want to talk on the record, you have to respect that. But what were some of the themes you talked to with people uh, regarding the trauma that they had in being involved with this house? I mean, was it was it the not getting paid? Was it the hostile environment? Was it the nonstop partying? It was kind of all of the above. Um, I think a lot of people, the hostile environment really got to them and was just something that was stress on top of their their lives that they just didn't want to revisit and reawaken. I also think some of these people are owed money and are upset about it. And in mm-hmm. some cases, like in the story, I talked to someone named Norm Steele, who was a podcaster with High Studios and then eventually Notorious. And he claims that Peter Vincer still owes him money for his podcasting efforts. And so, you know, Norm was open to talking about that. But I think some other people who are owed money were kind of like, I might just deal with this like in the court or or I'm just trying to move past it. Like it was a dark time for me. I'm still upset, but I just need to, move. you know, try to move past it. Yeah, there's like that legal angle where it is still ongoing and maybe they can't speak legally because it could affect the case, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was some of the the pushback I got, which is fine. And of course, I totally respect it. And I feel bad. I I don't want to re-bring up trauma. But at the same time, I feel like it was important to tell the story. Mm -hmm. I have a very silly question, which is, is there anything else about the Firefest podcast that you learned that didn't make it into the piece? (laughs) I wish I had more, um, but I really don't. <laughs> That's okay. That was like a detail that kind of came in at the last minute. Yeah. And I was like, wait, what? Like <laughs> after all my reporting huh. and I didn't even know about this, like that's kind of how this story went is like, I'd learn a lot. I'd be like, all right, this is almost done. And then like this other tiny detail that just would come in and you'd be like, well, now we got to add this. <laughs> well, actually, that's a great uh, thing to ask about is how how did you know when you were done? And also, how could you be sure that you wouldn't be scooped on this? I had a pretty good sense I wouldn't be scooped simply because this is such a niche company. And also, I feel like there are some really great podcast reporters out there, but um, I had I kind of know them and I, I feel like I would have known if they were working on something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I... Ending it was actually really difficult. I thought I was done with this like months ago. And then a new person would kind of enter and I'd talk to them and that would lead to a couple more people that I just couldn't feel like good about it until I talked to them too. Mm -hmm. Even if it was totally irrelevant, not totally relevant, but not like exactly relevant to this story. I was like, I just need to, I just need to check in and make sure things line up. So finally we reached a point where it was just like, you know what? We got to cut this off. I was still waiting on some documents even, but I was like, you know what? We have enough. We have enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any final questions from you two? I, I just want to say, you know, something I really respect about The Verge is for industry press on the on the tech industry, you guys do so much investigative reporting, like uh, just to a degree that we don't see with the rest of the industry. And I think it's something you should be really proud of. That North Carolina story uh, and uh, uh, you know the government governor of Wisconsin, uh, Scott Walker, y'all were all over that. Uh, and yeah, I just, I think this is, it's such a brilliantly reported piece. I encourage all of our listeners to go read it. Uh, you should be very proud of this. 
Thanks. And yeah, thanks for the Verge props. You know, I think the team will be very happy to hear this feedback. Well, it's, it's just true. I mean, I'm not going to name other outlets, but you guys do a lot more investigative work than the rest of the industry. And you know, there's a reason the Times will take your stuff and not credit you for it, which they <laughs> do all the time. Ah. Uh, Christina, any last questions? Uh, no, I, I loved the story. It was so good. And like I said, I... I had no idea about any of this backstory. Ironically, I discovered the Fire Festival thing like six months ago, but got no response from him. So that was just when I, I was like halfway through reading. He was already talking to Ashley. Well, no, what was funny <laughs> was I was reading through this story. I was like, why haven't I ever heard of this? And then I read and it was like, it switched its name to Notorious. And I went, oh, my God. Th- that guy because <laughs> but this is proof because i was the only person who listened to that podcast i swear to god i was the only person who listened to that podcast <laughs> period because it was terrible it was really really awful and um uh, so that was when i found out that connection like it made what was already one of my favorite stories like that much sweeter so great great job i'm just so so what prompted you to reach out just you were like i'm curious about this show yeah i wanted to know about the company so i like looked him up on linkedin and i found his insta and i like dm'd him and i got no response i i was genuinely just curious like you know like i'm an engineer now but i i will never not be a reporter so i just i i like wanted to know more about like okay how did you get into this why do you think you can sell merch that they had had it really ridiculous marked up prices and then they had to lower the price that they clearly sold nothing on. Um, like I was just really curious because it was just so bizarre to me. So I reached out wanting to try to just talk. No response. That's fine. Huh. Cause he's in that podcast too. Yeah, he is. And he's awful. Like he's terrible. <laughs> like he, he talks, he has no in, in, in intonation in his voice. He like, he's terrible. Um, but it was also clear like they'd had, well, he had high quality production stuff. Some of the guests that they had did not. But um, anyway, but yeah, that's why I, I, that's how I found his name. I like looked him up and then I saw his LinkedIn and I found his Insta and I like reached out because I wanted details. I wanted to be like, okay, what's the story behind this, this podcast? Like how, how, how do you think you're making money off of this or what is this doing? But I heard nothing back. Dang. Hmm. Well, I'm glad I could kind of help close the loop for I know. You. It, like, genuinely, like <laughs> made me so happy. Finally. <laughs> it, seriously. Yeah. Uh, now I am looking at his Instagram, and that's a dark path that I don't want to tread down. But it looks like there might be pictures of the house there, if I'm not wrong. If it, oh yeah, a there's a lot view. of posts, a Perfect. lot of posts. <laughs> um, all right, I'm putting the link to Ashley's story in the show notes. And Ashley, where can people find you online if they want to find you? If you want to be found, <laughs> so I'm on Twitter at Ashley R Carmen. That's probably the best way. (laughs) Perfect. And you can read Ashley's work at theverge.com. Thank you so much for joining us uh, and have a great rest of your night. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening to that first segment. Uh, Please do go check out Ashley's story and her Twitter. Uh, But before you do, let me tell you that this episode of Rocket (laughs) is brought to you by Pingdom from Solar Winds. I might not know the name of my own podcast, but I know you, Pingdom. If you have a website listener, what purpose does it serve? Whether it's driving people to your products, collecting sales leads for your company, or providing customer service with a contact form, when these critical transactions fail, you lose out on business. Not to mention the bad experience for your users that makes them stomp their feet and go, ugh. But 
there is the solution. Transaction monitoring from Pingdom. Starting at just $10 a month, transaction monitoring runs checks 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and will alert you when cart checkout, forms, or login pages fail before they affect your customers in your business. Pingdom will notify you the moment, the instant there is a failure, whether over SMS, email, or your favorite apps like Slack, Ops Genie, and PagerDuty. Depending on what's being monitored or the severity of the outage, you can customize who is alerted and how they get the notifications. So IT Stan, who's trapped in the IT chamber, can always (laughs) receive the messages 24 hours a day. Don't let your users discover a problem with your website. You should be the first person to know, and it is super easy to get started. Just go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. And then when you're ready, use the code ROCKET at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. That is again pingdom.com slash RelayFM, and uh, then the code ROCKET at checkout for 30% off. Thank you so much, Pingdom from SolarWinds, for your support of this show and Relay FM. Christina, you know, I was just thinking. What's that? You know what would be amazing would be a Simone ad read on Hype House Cocaine. Ha! That would be. No! That would. Oh, wow. You would have, like, all new characters coming to you. That would be some, that would be some, like, Robin Williams, peak Robin Williams, uh, when he right. was coked up. Like, yeah like ad reads that would be really good <laughs> y'all have no idea how stressed i would be if i lived in a hype house like i would lose so much productivity because i would be spending all of my time cleaning <laughs> this would be my unfortunate again, reality again this is what the drugs are for because then you don't care about that sort of stuff i or, will always care well or you have like extra energy from the cocaine well listeners that's not what your money goes for <laughs> uh okay hey let's talk about e3 because that happened this week this was our kind of first digital only e3 because last year's e3 didn't really happen there were some digital only events that happened throughout the year from publishers but there was no formal e3 and this year there was no formal in-person e3 but many many events were organized online Um, And, of course, the return of the usual press conference showcases uh, in in somewhat different form than they usually are. Uh, So Ubisoft, Gearbox, Devolver, Xbox, which is now bundled together with Bethesda uh, because they bought them for billions of dollars, um, Square Enix, Capcom, um, and Nintendo. I almost forgot the best one. All happened over the course of the weekend leading up till Tuesday and just to, I guess, kind of contextualize, it was interesting. I don't think anyone expected the energy to be quite the same as the usual in-person conferences. Um, but I will say I feel like not enough of the publishers, with the exception of Xbox, learned from what Nintendo has been doing for years with the Nintendo Directs. Yep. I know on Saturday. Thank you. Yeah. On Saturday with Ubisoft, Devolver and Gearbox, there was a lot of 
dead air in those in mm-hmm. those conferences where Xbox and Nintendo really set a wonderful tone by just showing content, just trailer, 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 trailer. And I feel like for an event like this, that is so much just about building hype and showing what's coming out, um, these quick news hits, that's that's what gets people excited. And so I, I was a little disappointed throughout the the early part of the weekend, got hyped, and then Nintendo just killed it today, in my opinion. But we are going to go around, talk about who we think each won the show and some of our favorite announcements. Before so, we do that, yeah. can we ask Christina a really quick question? So, sure. so one of the things, uh, you were tweeting a lot about the Microsoft event. Yes. And everybody, it seemed like everybody went crazy for the Microsoft event. I was in a meeting, so I wanted to ask you, like it really seems from what I've seen on Twitter that Microsoft kind of won E3. Like why why were people so hyped for all the, the announcements that they were doing? I don't know. So I was asked in the last minute by someone to join their Twitch stream and kind of talk like to do live commentary while um while mm-hmm. the Bethesda Xbox thing happened. And um which was fine for me because I would have watched it anyway. I don't know. I feel like the fact that like because xbox is a brand now i don't know how well that's getting across but it's really like they're trying to make it seem like it's not just the console but it's also the cloud but it's also pc right like it's it's its own kind of ecosystem rather than being just like the device mm-hmm. and so i think that uh teamed up with bethesda was strong the game pass stuff i think honestly you know you might as well have called it kind of like the game pass showcase I there think that's were a why. lot of games that came out with the tagline available day one on Game Pass. Yeah. And it was a it was a power move. <laughs> yeah. Um, Brianna, I wanted to start with you. So who yeah. who do you, who won the show for you? Okay. So my number one thing I'm I'm hyped for, and this is this is not normal for me. My my biggest pet peeve in games is the angry male protagonist, right? <laughs> I played so many games at this, Max Payne, Doom, God of War. You throw a dart, there's so many games with like the angry male protagonist. And, but the game that I'm super excited for is the game with the male protagonist yeah. so angry, it became a meme instantly, like, I'm going to kill chaos. Oh no! It is, <laughs> it is Final Fantasy Origin. So if you don't know about this, the original Final Fantasy came out uh, back in 1985, 1986 here in the U.S., um, and it, it, it is a, it's a very simple, straightforward RPG. They have reinvented that story as as a Souls-like. And it's not just like a normal square (laughs) remake of a game. This is the most angry, brotastic, emo, Marilyn Manson remake of of Final Fantasy that you could possibly imagine. Uh, And, you know, one of the things that really bothered me in the trailer was there really weren't that many women in it. Like, you get to see uh, Princess Corneria for a bit, uh, but... You know, it's just this really, really aggressive Souls-like thing made by the same team that did Bayonetta. They released a playable demo immediately for it. And I was like, oh, God, how big of a train wreck is this going to be? I cannot stop playing it. It is freaking 
awesome. It is it is brutally hard, but it is fair in a way that is completely addictive. And it is so rare that like you finish a game demo that takes you a couple of hours to get through and then just start it right back over. So by far, I'm I have a for note this. for you, yes. which is yes. <clears throat> the game is called Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy <laughs> Origin. Yes. <laughs> Because we can't have anything simple in this house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's because the original PlayStation, uh, uh, on PlayStation 1, in I believe it was around 2001, they released uh, a compilation of uh, Final Fantasy 1 and 2, which we had never gotten to play 2 before in English officially here in the United States. And that was called Final Fantasy Origin. So I think that this one being called Origins was so similar that they had to add some weird title to it. I see. That makes sense. Um, I'm glad. I'm glad that you are enjoying it, though. It's. It, I always love it when I go into something being like, and then I come out of it being like, yeah. <laughs> Which it sounds like this was. But you've seen the memes, like chaos. Oh, yeah. The I'm main character. Yeah. Listeners, yeah. if you didn't see this trailer, <laughs> I think 90% of the lines in it are the main character growling, I've got to kill chaos. I'm going to kill chaos. We're going to put an end to chaos. Chaos. Um, so, the I mean, the demo was us? like that too. It's like, catch you on fire. Like, <laughs> so bad the heart wants what it wants it's there it is all right uh christina what about you do you have a top of show i mean breath of the wild 2 seeing that was really strong we we, after two years you know that was really good like metroid prime 4 i really was annoyed that we didn't get that but um seeing more breath of the wild 2 was really good i have to say I, I'm I'm more excited about it than I thought I would be, but like Starfield, I like I really have like strong alien vibes from that, and I'm I'm really hype on that. I think so. Is it's it's a tie between those two? I would say for me. Yes. Can you tell our listeners what Starfield is? So so Starfield is the next game from Bethesda, and it's kind of like a RPG, kind of like um like you know kind of like a future space RPG. Is that would you think that that's kind of an accurate way of describing it? They describe it as Skyrim in space. So yes, Skyrim in space, right? So the, the way that Starfield looked, like I was really, I thought the the trailer was great. Um, you know, it, they kind of talked about it uh, before, but it. Like the whole vibe was very much like from Ridley Scott's Alien, and and I just loved the the whole kind of motif from that. Um, and and I'm I'm into these sorts of of RPG sorts of things. Um, I loved the design. Like it just it looked really strong, and so it was one of those things where I was like, you know what, this looks like the sort of game that I could see myself like just spending a ton of time in. Yeah, I will say from the Starfield trailer. It- one of the things that we observed from it when we were co-streaming was it kind of sets itself apart from some of these other space set games that have come out recently that are a little more um, kind of neon-hued futurism, um, which yeah. is an aesthetic that I do like. And a great example of that would be, I think, the it was the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer. Oh, oh no, mm-hmm. it was one of the Rainbow Six trailers where there are these okay. sort of parasitical creatures Um and they're kind of glowing in shades of neon. Um, and that's, you know, great for a shooter where you're trying to look for something and hit it with your gun. 
Um, but Starfield kind of goes against the grain of that artistic trend with something that felt very uh, more more of a realistic sense of space with like kind of chunky machines that look like they maybe don't work so well <laughs> um, and a, a particularly dusty planet. And I'm I'm very interested in that. I will say a uh, caveat for this and another trailer that we're going to talk about later that I really liked. We saw no gameplay. What we saw was, uh, you know, a quite polished video, right? Of 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 cinematic, which is fine. Um, I I the game has been in development for as long as I've been alive. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> exaggeration, but um, I, I think it's okay to show something like that at E three. But it's it, it's a it's a pure hype trailer rather than like a a promise. So I wanted to ask, because I haven't seen this trailer yet, you know, it feels like Outer Worlds really kind of did the Bethesda in space uh, better than uh, Bethesda did. You know, this is, if if you haven't played it, it's mm. very much Fallout New Vegas in space. What aesthetically about it kind of separates it from Outer, outer Worlds? That actually is an excellent example uh, of exactly what I was talking about, which is yeah. in Outer Worlds, you have, um, as far as world design goes, like a lot of very colorful flora and fauna and this looked like a very stripped down like almost like something that would come out of nasa 80 years from now you know okay and we don't know anything about the game tonally i will say so well what we know about outer worlds is it has this very like tongue-in-cheek kind of poke fun at capitalism tone we don't know anything like that about starfield yet uh christina go ahead yeah, I know. I agree with that. Um, I think like NASA 80 years from now, but at the same time, again, like the reason I keep like bringing up like Alien is because it does have, I mean, that's a film that obviously was made in 79, but is very futuristic and, and had, you know, a lot of, it got a lot of the tech right, but it has that kind of like, it's not dark totally like Alien is, but it has that kind of, you know, feeling of, of a Ridley Scott or of, you know, of a 2001 of kind of more, more, as you said, like less shiny space and more, you know, there's like, this stuff has been beat up. Stuff has been used. Yeah. Like it, it dusty has, space. It's, it's dusty space. It, it feels a little more based in realism, which who knows what the tone of the game is. But um, that was definitely something that like just the aesthetic. I just was like, okay, I want to see more of this. I'm going to take a brief moment to tell you all that this episode of Rocket is brought to you by ExpressVPN. <laughs> um, I have been waiting. <laughs> it's been a few weeks. Since I logged into our like list of upcoming ads to look for when we would next have an ExpressVPN ad, because I have something to say <laughs> that is very important. But first, um, hey, it is very important to find a VPN that you trust, because as we discuss literally almost every episode of the show, we are in an eternal arms race with hackers who want to steal everything that you have on your machines. Um, And finding a VPN that you can rely on, you can use consistently to protect yourself, especially when you're on public Wi-Fi, so important. There are tons of VPN providers out there, but there's a good reason that I use ExpressVPN and why we have them as a sponsor. They're good. Here's why. They don't log your activity online. Lots of cheap or free VPNs make money by selling your data to advertisers, but ExpressVPN does not do this. They even developed a technology-trusted server that makes their VPN servers incapable of storing any data. Instead of using hard drives, they use RAM, so all data is wiped whenever the servers are powered down. 
And ExpressVPN is fast because it uses Lightway, a new VPN protocol they engineered to make user speeds faster than ever. If you've tried using other VPNs, you'll know they can sometimes slow your connection down. Uh, They do. But ExpressVPN is always blazing fast and lets you stream videos in HD quality with zero buffering. And it is super easy to use. You don't need any technical skills. You just fire up that app and tap one single large button to connect. So your kids, your grandparents, your parents, tech savvy or not, can use it. And CNET, The Verge, and many other tech journals rate ExpressVPN the number one VPN in the world. The very important thing that I would like to say is that I watched Eurovision a couple weeks ago. It's streaming on Peacock. Um, And usually every year when Eurovision is done, you can go onto YouTube and find the performances, the individual performances from the grand finale. They will be in a playlist. You can watch one single two to three minute performance. You can send it to your friends to bother them. You know what you cannot do this year if you live in the United States of America? What I thought was a free country? (laughs) You can't do that. The playlist is there. I can see it on Eurovision's YouTube channel, but I cannot access any of the videos except for the Lithuanian contestants' performance of Discotech by The Roop. Um, This is a very good performance. I enjoyed it. However, this is offensive to me. Only one? Why? I think it was a mistake. I have surmised that uh, this is Peacock uh, NBC because they own the rights in the U.S. blocking uh, international streaming. It does say this is not available in your country, which are the words that do not strike fear in your heart if you have a VPN. <laughs> because you can simply be like, um, yeah, I'm in Europe with a click of a button and you can watch every single Eurovision 2021 performance because you really missed it last year and it's time and you should be able to have this. So thank you ExpressVPN for sponsoring us again because I've been uh, wanting to talk about this. <laughs> also protect yourself with the VPN that I use and trust. Go to expressvpn.com rocket today and get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That is expressvpn.com rocket. Visit expressvpn.com rocket to learn more. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Hey, let's talk about more video games. <laughs> You're all my prisoners today. So one thing that super excited me that came out of today's Nintendo Direct is a new WarioWare, or bleh, WarioWare game called WarioWare Get It Together. Um, so this is a, a, a new WarioWare game coming to the Nintendo Switch, and it will have co-op and apparently different characters with different abilities so if you're not familiar with WarioWare it is just a bizarre series um uh games composed of sort of odd uh irreverent mini games uh that you sometimes have to beat using strange physics um some of the ones that we saw in this trailer look like uh, plucking someone's chest hairs <laughs> shaking apples out of a tree for example that kind of thing you know the kind of thing that i look to games to do because i can't do them in real life and this just delighted me um first of all because i i don't 
I, I, it's been a while since there's been a new WarioWare game. There hasn't been one made just for the Switch and the Switch's capabilities. And then secondly, because it is co-op. And I just absolutely love any opportunity for couch co-op with the Nintendo Switch, especially after this last Christmas when I was able to get my mom to play Mario Party. And she Aww. actually really enjoyed Aww. it. And I feel like with her weird sense of humor, this is a game that she might also enjoy. And like with with such weird mini games, the stakes never get too high where like sometimes new gamers can get really frustrated um, if they're asked to do really complicated things. But um, when it's something like as silly as this, I think it's really hard to get heated about it. Um, so I'm excited for that. I, I want to know how the story of Orbulon goes. You know, they've been leaving us uh, hanging in all these WarioWare titles. No, I, I absolutely love these games. They're amazing. Uh, bring them on. I've been playing it since Game Boy Advance. Uh, totally agree, Simone. One of my favorite series. Heck yeah. Should we go into our second uh, favorite announcements or should we start wrapping this bad boy up? Well, let's go. We can get through it quickly. We've got time. Yeah, we can do through another one. Yeah. Brianna, give me your next top of show. Metroid Dread. Oh, yeah. Come on. We're getting a new Metroid, though. I have concerns about this game. So a while back, uh, let me tell you a very brief story. Uh, The very second Metroid game that ever came out was on uh, Game Boy. And there was somebody a while back that very lovingly did a recreation of this because Nintendo will not re-release that Metroid 2 game. And everybody was like, oh, Nintendo sucks. They're evil. Why are they shutting the fans down? I was one of them. And you come to find out just a few months later, Nintendo was actually remaking uh, Metroid 2, which got me super hyped. This was a 3DS title. Uh, all this backstory has a point. Um, so, <laughs> you're, good, you're good. So so uh, then it actually comes out. And I have to tell you guys, I love speedrunning Metroid. I hate replaying Samus 2, uh, Met- uh, Samus Returns, that remake. As best as I can tell from the Metroid Dread footage, this is using that exact same mechan- engine and it uses a lot of the uh, very same mechanics. So like one of the things that Metroid, uh, the Red Metroid remake did is if a laser beam or an enemy is flying towards you, you have a second to parry it with B and then you can retaliate with your laser cannon. That same mechanic is in uh, this game. And that was so easily abused that rather than being this quick moving game, the safest thing to do is just to stand still when you see an enemy, Mm -hmm. let them attack you, parry and kill them. But, you know, all things considered, this is a new Metroid game. One of my very favorite series. Always a blast to speed run and bring it on. Can I talk briefly about how they announced this? Because it was top 10 wacky moments of E3. Uh, they're like, we don't have info for you about Metroid 4 right now, but what we do have is <laughs> Metroid 5. <laughs> and right. then they proceeded to show this, which I, I think in some technical way is Metroid 5, but not in the same series as the, the Metroid 4 that has yet to come out. And it is formally called Metroid Dread. But we... <laughs> It was just one of those moments where you're like, what? 
<laughs> what are you doing? But it See, looks I great. I saw that story and I was like, what's Metroid 4? Are they saying Other M is an official Metroid now? And like my brain is just blown yeah. trying to figure that out. Metroid 4 was announced at E3 2017. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I yeah. was going to say, I was going to say, we've been literally, for as long as the Switch has been out, we've been waiting for Metroid 4. Yeah, so the difference here is Metroid Prime versus Metroid, I think, I think. You probably okay. know more than me, but it is, it is a very fine line, <laughs> and it amused me a lot. Um, yeah, all right, Christina, what about you? What's your second top choice? Okay, so this is weird because... Both of these things had kind of been announced before, but we got to see more details, and and also we got the Switch announcement. This is this is a lame one. There were a lot of really good announcements. I'm I'm openly admitting this is not the coolest thing, but I have to be honest about like what I'm really excited about is um, I'm really excited about uh, well, first side side note, um, a flight simulator coming to Xbox next month. Very excited about yes. that. But like that, I'm actually massively excited about because even though I have a PC, I prefer to game on my console if I'm honest. But um, I love the Life is Strange series. I, it's just one of my favorite series ever. And I'm looking forward to the remastered edition. And I didn't like, I liked Life is Strange too. I didn't like it quite as much as I liked Life is Strange and, and um, um, Before the Storm. But uh, the, the new one, True Colors, looks really good. And seeing more details of that from the Square Enix showcase was good. Uh, I think that it's going to suck on Switch. It do, it's not great on mobile. <laughs> um, so I think it's going to suck on Switch, to be totally honest. But I am happy that it, that they're doing something there, but I think the frame rates and stuff are just going to be terrible. But I'm, even though I know there are better games and more things, the more important thing is to be excited about. Like I've already pre-ordered the, the um, collector's edition or whatever that'll have the remastered and um, uh, true colors that comes out in September. So I'm excited about that. I'm very happy for you. I, I'm right there with you. I think it's an amazing series uh, you know, made with Unreal Engine. I think the first one, some of the gameplay is a little, it's a, it's a little rough, but uh, just overall, that's not why you played this game. No, it's, it's, a, it's a story. Yeah. It's the writing. Yeah. I mean, it, it's one of those things that, yeah, I mean, the gameplay, it, it's it's not like a, a walking simulator as some people like to accuse some of those games on. It's not at all. It's a game. But the writing, the cinematics, the storytelling is top notch, um, and uh, I, I like what they're doing with the empathy kind of power for uh, for True Colors. Um, I'm excited, so yeah, that's that's I've, my second pick. I've cooled a lot on the series since I first played it. Uh, I discovered this weekend when I was watching the trailers, but I do like the sort of mountain town setting of um, vibe. What I'm calling vibe check. True Colors, <laughs> Life is Strange. True Colors, uh, the empathy game, which should be called Vibe Check. Let's all be real. Um, totally i will probably try it we shall see uh now it's my turn to be hypocritical uh so arcane austin has a game coming out called redfall and we saw a very great cinematic trailer for it it looks awesome honestly it looks so good there's no game play yet but it looks so it looks amazing it is a multiplayer shooter uh where you are fighting vampires can it, some of the moments of the trailer that stood out to me are where one of the characters is trying to repel a vampire and she grabs what appears to be a magic umbrella and opens it and the vi- vampire gets shoved away with energy powers. Um, and later, the same character 
loads her shotgun with magic, like by manifesting bullets out of, or I guess they would be shells, out of nothing and loading them magically into her shotgun. It was very, like, aesthetically, very cool. I And I actually really like the idea of fighting vampires because I feel like there have been a non-trivial... We're over zombies. For sure. And there have been a non-trivial number of vampire-related games over the last couple years with that, um, oh my gosh, but I'm going to forget the names of them. However, this one looks a little potentially more fast-paced and Arcane tends to have just fantastic level design. Like, this is the same studio that did the Dishonored games mm-hmm. um, and Prey, the new Prey. So it's... I, I feel like I am not totally out of my mind to get my hopes up for this. And at the very least, they produced a cool trailer. <laughs> so I like it. No, I, I agree. I uh, We were with the stream that I was watching when we saw that, like, because we'd all been complaining about faces because, like, people are, you know, like, only a couple of studios are good at faces. Mm-hmm. And then we saw, like, the the cinematic for Redfall. And we were like, okay, good. Because the, the, the Layla character... Uh, she just looks like such a badass. Yeah. And yeah, so I'm I'm right there with you. I'm I'm a little hesitant on this just because we've seen a lot of these free battle royale games not really work out. Uh, you know, uh Reverse, which came with the uh the Resident Evil Village, uh, they still haven't released that. It looked awful. Uh, you know, the one before that for Resident Evil 3, uh, what was it? I, I can't remember the name of it. It was a pack-in battle game for free. Uh, it was absolutely terrible. And I, I wonder if this, I think it's a great concept. I worry about this studio having the resources to really make this project sing, but I would love to be wrong. All right. Hey, now, uh, before we close out the show, let me tell you that this episode of Rocket is brought to you by privacy.com. Um, have it, actually, I'll ask you two, one of you two this time. Do you have a time that you were worried about your financial privacy online? Because I've aired all of my dirty laundry. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, Frank and I occasionally like to put together Lego sets, uh, you know, like really big, ambitious Lego sets. And a while back, I get this Facebook ad and it's like, <gasps> we're having a closeout sale. You can get the giant Millennium Falcon for just thirty dollars, and I'm like, woo! Yeah, I click the link, and yeah, I'm like, of course, Facebook wouldn't allow a scam ad to be there. <laughs> no. And oh. it looked like the official Lego site. It had some name on it, like Lego Sale or something dot com, and it it looked good enough to trick me. And uh, let me tell you, I had to cancel a whole bunch of credit cards <gasps> oh, for wow. that. So there it is. Wow. Wow, let me tell you how that could have not happened to you. Using privacy.com. Privacy is a tool that makes it easy to manage your financial lives online while keeping your most important information secure. By generating virtual numbers, privacy masks your bank information, so you never have to worry about giving it out to people that you don't know online. So it is super easy to get set up. Um, and then it will just generate a number for you to take the place of your card number. And you just use that in place of your transactions. And you can make a ton for all different purposes. You can have your scam Lego card number that you only use when you want to make potentially risky transactions to purchase Legos. And then you'll have a paper trail, baby. 
then you can keep track of it. So that's super important. Obviously, I think we're all or at least I will speak for myself here. I am capable of making impulsive purchases online, especially after certain times of night. Um, So a little layer of safety between myself and my own dark impulses is always welcome. Take back control of your payments. Decide who can charge your card, how much, and how often, and you can close cards at any time. Plus, you can make sure that you're never accidentally built twice or upgraded to another service without your consent. And privacy is partnered with the good folks at 1Password. You can create, use, and save privacy cards directly within your 1Password dashboard. All virtual cards created in 1Password will have the same security benefits as your other privacy cards, and you can set spend limits, create single-use or merchant-locked cards whenever you want. Head to privacy.com rocket and sign up for an account. New customers will automatically get $5 to spend on their first purchase. Go to privacy.com rocket and sign up now. Our thanks to Privacy for their support of this show and Relay FM. You know what will help you uh, not not uh, not make impulse purchases? You know, late at night. Destroying my computer. What? Cocaine. <laughs> oh come cocaine. on! You stay up. You're such you're a bad on the cocaine. I I tried to save your financial future, Simone. I mean, I don't. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, Brie. I don't think that that will help her not make impulsive purchases. I think it might might exasperate it. I'm not more an than expert, impulse though. purchases. Impulse everything. Hey, Christina, what are you doing this week? So I'm working on a bunch of stuff at work that I cannot talk about, but we'll be able to talk about it in a few weeks. And um, that's that's most of what I'm doing, to be honest. All right, Brianna, what about you? So it's going to be the same thing from last week, but I'm going to get to tell Christina this because she can appreciate it. Christina, do you remember back in the 90s, the Star Trek pinball game? Yes, vaguely. I'm I'm, I'm aware of it. So it's like a legendary pinball game. I finally got one for my house. It is freaking amazing. I am playing it nonstop. It's bad for my marriage because we're having so many arguments. (laughs) But it is it is so much fun, like maintaining this thing and restoring a, a, a pinball table. It is, I mean, it's a full on tech project because you've you're getting out a multimeter to figure out all these electronic circuits from back from 1993. Um, it's just an absolute blast, and I'm I'm sure this is not going to be the last pinball table I buy. I'm waiting two years from now. You're going to have a basement. Just you're going to have your own arcade down there. And it's I'm working rock. on it. Yes. Uh, all right. This week, I'm kind of recovering from E3 and preparing for my own special project. Uh, next week, I'm going to be traveling, baby. Woo-hoo. <laughs> yeah. Exciting. Is, is, that, is this that thing that you teased a few weeks ago? Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, I don't even remember what I said about it, but I will be in L.A. next week. Um, and I'm going to talk to you two later about the timing of that. But uh, yeah, <laughs> hopefully soon I will have something to say about my special, special project. And I'm so excited um, to finally be to to be making a work trip for the first time in over a year. So awesome. very hype in this house. I am the podcasting hype house right now. Ha! Before we close out the show, let me tell you that this episode of Rocket is also brought to you by Parallel from Relay FM. If you like our show... You'll probably like them too. Accessibility in tech has come a long way in the past few years. 
uh, operating systems can speak. They can display high contrast text. They can support alternative ways to touch the screen or move around it. And big players in the tech space now speak regularly about their access efforts. But are those efforts and all that software any good? So Shelly Brisbane hosts this show. She's a journalist and accessibility expert, um, and she talks about accessibility in the larger context of technology and our lives. Uh, Sometimes she talks about devices and software, sometimes about living in a world that's powered by more and more tech every day. Accessibility is the icing on the cake of that. So some great episodes you might want to check out are Navigating the Zoom-Based World When You're Blind, Um, experts talking about what's new in Android, and also a newbie's guide to productivity. So you can join Shelly and her guests at relay.fm slash parallel, or search for parallel wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much, Shelly and Relay fam, uh, for supporting the show. All right, Brianna, where can we find you online? Uh, You can find me Killing Chaos and also on Twitter at Brianna Wu. And Christina? You can find me at film underscore girl on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, you can find the videos I do at work at youtube.com slash Microsoft developer. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Doom Quasar and at youtube.com slash Polygon. Thank you so much. If any of you tuned in to Polygon's E3 streams over the week, we had a really fun time. And we'll be back with you next week right here in this feed with another episode of Rocket. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like, because I think they all help us a lot. Thanks so much. This episode of Rocket is terminated. Terminated. (gasps) Terminated. Terminated.